0: Friends, I invite you to take your Bible, or one from the pew rack in front of you, and turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 13. If you have a pew Bible, you'll find this on page 818. I'm going to read three short verses, starting in verse 44 of Matthew chapter 13. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, we're glad for these moments to reflect on your word together, and we pray that as we do so, you would be present by the power of your spirit to teach us those things that you want us individually to hear. Lord, would we listen well to your voice and to your spirit, and would you meet with us, we ask, in the name of Jesus. Amen. So you've joined us then on the second week of our series, A Gospel Guide to Money. Three weeks long looking at making money, spending money, and then giving money away. Last week we looked at the Ten Commandments of Making Money, and this week we look at the Seven Deadly Sins of Spending Money. It's, it's a cheery little title, isn't it? Uh, Of course, you know that Scots uh, do have a reputation for being thrifty and frugal, uh, stingy even. The joke goes that the Grand Canyon was started by a Scot who lost a coin in a ditch. Um, That copper wire was invented by two Scots arguing over a penny. Uh, A church one for you. You know, in in Great Britain, we love the gospel, the English, because they can argue about it. The Irish, because they can fight about it. The Welsh, because they can sing about it. And the Scots, because it's free. (laughs) I said to one of my elders this week, do you remember that joke he told me about Scots being cheap? And he just looked at me and said, it was not a joke. This is the kind of sermon title you should expect your Scottish pastor to come up with. Now, of course, we're just using this idea as a rubric, a structure to reflect upon what the Bible has to say about this topic, and we hope that it will be helpful to our faith. That's the goal of this mini-series, financial discipleship for our spiritual health and Maturity. It's not really about the money, it's more about the soul. And so it's in that context, thinking about the mind and the heart, thinking about the soul, that we want to look at these seven deadly sins together. And I hope it will be the happiest sermon you'll ever hear on the seven deadly sins. Let's see. Number one, the first deadly sin of spending money is pride. Spending money like it's your money. Spending your money even, like it's your money. You earned it so you can do what you want with it, right? It's your name that's on the paycheck. It's your name that's on the bank account. It's yours, right? And the Bible says, well, kind of, sort of, maybe not really. Psalm 24 verses 1 and 2, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all who live in it. The earth is Lord and everything in it. Yes, we say everything. The world and all who live in it. Yes, we say all who live in it. God owns not just everything, but also everyone. Now, he doesn't own these things like some mere tycoon, magnet mogul. Don't think of God as just like a bigger Bill Gates, a bigger Steve Jobs, even as a bigger Oprah. Think of God as the God who owns everything and everyone because he is God. Psalm 24 continues. He founded it, the earth and all that's in it. He founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. We consider his majesty and we remember that everything you have, more than that, everything you are, belongs to him and so this includes your money my money isn't really my money your money isn't really your money our money isn't really our money because it all belongs to him so sometimes i joke with rosie what's mine is yours and what's yours is yours as well uh, that's marriage okay um, but of course we both know that it's neither of ours we both know that it all belongs to God. Uh, 1 Corinthians 4, verse 7. What do you have that you did not receive? What do you have that you did not receive? And so we want to have the humility to remember that God is the owner and that we are the stewards. God is the owner. We are the stewards. Do you think this way as you spend money? Do you think. That the Lord who walks with you and the Lord who loves you and the Lord who pays attention to the details of your lives and the Lord who even knows the details of your bank account is, is with you and do you spend your money like he would spend your money because ultimately it belongs to him. So that's the first deadly sin of spending money, pride. Spending your money as if it is your money. Let's add a little nuance and depth to this point with our, ne- our next two deadly sins. Secondly, a second deadly sin of spending money, gluttony or spending too much. Gluttony or spending too much money. Now, don't glaze over here because it sounds obvious, but in a way this is quite an intriguing one to me. Why? Because everyone agrees that materialism is a problem in our culture. Everyone agrees that materialism is a problem, and yet hardly anyone believes it's a sin that they are personally guilty of. And so you have this strange dynamic where we'd say, yes, yeah, we, everybody struggles with this. But nobody actually tells you that they do. In fact, you know, in my eight years pastoring here in McLean, no one has ever come to me and said, Pastor, I'm struggling because I think my finances are hurting my marriage. Pastor, I'm struggling because I think the way we spend our money is hurting our kids. Pastor, I think my spiritual welfare is at stake in the way that I'm spending too much money. You see, while we all agree there is a problem, it tends to sneak up on us because of a thing we call lifestyle inflation. If you're not familiar with the phrase you're certainly familiar with the concept of lifestyle inflation you earn less and so you buy less but then you earn a little more and so you buy a little more and 10 years later you earn a lot more and so you buy a lot more your expenses expand to meet or exceed your income and as a result many of us spend too much money for our entire lives now Of course, the second I say that, many of us spend too much money. The question comes, well, how much is too much? And that's a a very debatable question with all sorts of layers. But I think there are at least two things we can all agree on. How much is too much? At least two things. First of all, I think we can all agree that we shouldn't spend more than we have. Don't spend more than you have. Listen to this proverb, Proverbs 22, verse 7. The rich rules over the poor, and here's the verse the borrower is the slave of the lender. The borrower is the slave of the lender. Now, I'm not saying all debt is bad. Of course, we know that matching long-term debt to long-term assets can make financial sense. Think of your mortgage, for example. But I am saying that most debt is bad. We would suggest that nearly all debt, in fact, is bad. That here... In the land of the free, the average American is the slave of the lender. And so the average Virginian has north of $7,000 in credit card debt. Uh, I wonder how much you have yourself. And together we need to learn to be content with what we have, to be patient to save for the proper time, to avoid short-term debt as much as possible, to avoid credit card debt, to avoid all consumer debt. We need to learn to s- not to spend more than we have. So how much is too much? Well, certainly spending more than we have. Secondly, I think we could all agree, how much is too much? Don't spend more than is wise. Don't spend as more than is wise. Now that's so vague that everyone agrees with me, at least up until this point. So let's work through it and see if you still agree by the end of the point. Of course, we shouldn't spend more than we have, but I'd suggest we shouldn't spend right up to the limit either. We shouldn't spend every single cent that we have. There's wisdom in spending significantly less than you earn. Why? Because things come up and life happens. And there are unexpected expenses, no matter how well you've budgeted, and we need to be ready for them. Proverbs 21, verse 20. Precious treasure and oil are in a wise man's dwelling, but a foolish man devours it. See the contrast here? The wise man stores up some treasure, stores up some oil, those things that are valuable. But the wise man devours it. As soon as he gets it, it burns a hole in his pocket and it's gone. There's wisdom in having some resources at hand. And so, uh, biblically, it's fair to say that there's wisdom in saving. Financial advisors today will tell us that we should seek to have three months living expenses in our bank accounts. Some of you are already there. For others, it just seems like a goal that's just so far off and unattainable. It's hard to even wrap our minds around. I get both of those perspectives. But I think all of us, even if we would struggle with that, could think, well, maybe by the end of the year, I might not have three months, but maybe I'll have one more month than I do right now. I think it's also legitimate, I should probably add this after last week, that it's uh, wise to save for retirement too. Now what? I thought you said, thou shalt not retire. Yes, I'll say it again. Thou shalt not retire. If your understanding of retirement is a somewhat meaningless life of distraction and comfort. Uh, Last week we said God has a far greater purpose in mind for your senior years. But saving now might indeed free you to do that then. The day will likely come when we want to uh, end paid employment, and if we have the resources available, we'll be able to devote ourselves to whatever the Lord may call. So that's the second deadly sin of spending money. Gluttony. Spending too much money. How much is too much? It's debatable, but certainly spending more than we have so that we're always in debt, and certainly spending more than is wise so that we don't have any savings. Now, at this point, the plot actually thickens a little bit as we move into our third deadly sin. Why? Because the third deadly sin of spending money is greed or keeping too much money. Keeping too much money. You see, money is a a complicated thing. On one hand, it's possible to spend too much money, and on the other hand, it's very possible to keep too much money. It's possible to have a, a greedy approach where we keep it and hoard it and hide it. Now, this really isn't about a dollar amount. None of these points are about a dollar amount. It's not sinful to have more than X in a savings account. Rather, it's about our hearts, It's about our souls. It's about our faith. Some of us struggle because we'll look to our accumulated wealth, we'll look to our bank account to get a sense of perhaps pride, more often security, To ward off some fears or to have a sense of control. It's easier to say you trust in the Lord when your back balance is fat perhaps than when it's thin. And so Job warns us about this in chapter 31 of of that book. He says, if I have made gold my trust or called fine gold my confidence. If I've trusted in gold, if I've had my, my confidence in my riches... If I have rejoiced because my wealth was abundant or because my hand had found much, listen, I would have been false to God. You see, money can become so important to us that we can never part with it, even when we should. Even when we should spend to take care of our responsibilities and particularly to take care of others. Even when we should give generously as we're called to. Or, or even when God is just calling us simply to enjoy the resources that he's given us. So look at 1 Timothy six seventeen later on. It's important to know how to spend money to God's glory. How to spend money to God's glory. It's important to know when to celebrate within your means. See, I wonder, especially with the, 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 you know, the stereotypical Scottish pastor, if you thought the seven deadly sins would be sin one, spending money. Sin two, spending money. Sin three, spending money. Sin four, spend... Well, yes, there's some sin in how you might spend money, but it's also a sin if you don't know how to spend money to God's glory. Enjoyment and fun is part of his economy and part of his will for you. My father modeled this for us really well, I think, when we were kids. We moved to the big city, and my parents were both students, and uh, we had myself and my sister in the house, so there wasn't necessarily a lot of money to go around. I'm not playing a tiny violin. We wore shoes and walked downhill to school. Everything was fine. Um, But we didn't have a a lot of resources. And then from time to time, I remember, my dad would come home with a purchase that he'd got just for the fun of it. So I remember him coming home one day with a VHS player, yeah, yeah, our teenagers are like what is that Yeah. Um, he came home with a VHS player and we watched some tapes and it was awesome and it was kind of his way of, of celebrating within our means I, I, almost like an, an anti-austerity measure where we understood yes you need to be wise with money but you also need to know when to spend money uh, we have an elder who says warning Dad, dad joke approaching, okay? We, we have an elder who says, we are called uh, to be wiserly, not miserly. It's terrible. <laughs> but it's a really good point, right? It's a really, really good point. That we're not to hoard our resources, stockpiling them for the sake of our pride, our security, our fear, our control. Instead, examine your motives, and then spend in a way that would make God smile. Spend in a way would make God smile. So that's the third deadly sin then of spending money, greed, keeping too much money. Shift gears a little bit as we move into our fourth deadly sin, which is the fourth deadly sin of spending money, envy, spending to keep up with the Joneses envy, spending to keep up with the Joneses. Now, again, I think we would all recognize that this is a a big problem in our day. The stereotype goes that we spend money we don't have to buy things we don't want to impress people we don't like. And there's some truth to it. There's some truth to it that we have a tendency to want things, not because we truly want them, but because someone else has them, so we feel like we should have them too. Just this, this sense of of covetousness or, or envy, and again, this tends to operate at, at a subconscious level. You would never be, be rare to say they have it, so I want it. So, because it tends to be self- subconscious, we need to test ourselves a little more. Is this a, a challenge for you? Are your spending habits too influenced by the spending habits of others? Do you perhaps only dress yourselves, yourself, or your, your children in, in a certain brand? of clothes. If, friend, if a friend makes a purchase, do you start to want that purchase too? Do you feel dissatisfied when you hear that a friend has bought an expensive item or gone on an expensive vacation? Do you feel dissatisfied, this is a good one, do you feel dissatisfied when the newest version of your phone or car comes out? You know? Friends, there will be an iPhone 39. Okay? <laughs> It's going to happen. We need to be okay with it, right? You know, uh, suddenly something new comes out and we're suddenly dissatisfied with the thing that we were previously happy with. Do you find that you have gadgets that you never use? All these kind of indicators that your spending habits are too influenced by the spending habits of others. Now, friends, you may be keeping up with the Joneses. And in our area, many of us can keep up with the Joneses, but comparison is the thief of joy, as Teddy Roosevelt reminded us. Comparison is the thief of joy, and the Bible calls us to something so much better. If I was to give you one memory verse to dovetail with our series, this is what it would be. Hebrews 13, verse 5, which says, Keep your life free from the love of money. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have, For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Isn't that a verse full of gospel awesomeness for our money? First of all, keep your life free from the love of money. Money's not the problem. Loving money is the problem. And be free from that. Enjoy the autonomy, life, spirit that is found in having money in its proper perspective. Secondly, be content with what you have. Have a glad and happy heart. Don't you love it when the Bible is commanding you to be at peace in your own soul? To not be discontent. To be glad. To be happy. To be content. Why? Here's why I love it. Why? For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. In other words, you have his presence, which means you already have far more than you could ever calculate or imagine. So don't compare yourself to others. It's the fourth deadly sin of spending money. Envy, spending money to keep up with the Joneses. Number five, the fifth deadly sin of spending money is sloth or not following a budget Sloth are not following a budget. It's important whether you earn $1,000 a year or a billion dollars a year that you operate out of a budget. It really goes back to the point we made earlier. God is the owner, we are the stewards, and so we need a budget or we need a a plan for how we're going to steward these resources well. It's not about having a a rigid set of rules, but about being thoughtful, about being deliberate with how we spend our money. Proverbs again, 21 verse 5. The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance. But everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. The plans of the diligent. So, two steps in this regard. First of all, you, me, we all need to have... A budget. You need to have a budget. You need to know what you earn. You need to know what your weekly, monthly, quarterly, annual expenses are. You need to know what debt you're paying off. You need to know how much you're saving. You need to know how much you're giving. You need to know how much you spend on fun things and haircuts and what's left over at the end. You need to know all of that and you need to prioritize that spending and calendar it out. Timetable it out so you know how you're going to handle your finances. Step one, you have to have a budget. But step two is where the money is made. You don't just need to have a budget. You need to follow your budget. That's why the sin of the deadly sin is not following a budget. I am the, the master of designing a beautiful spreadsheet, okay, with columns and charts and pivot tables and graphs that will tell you any kind of statistic you want to know about personal finance and then forgetting about it by the second week of January, uh, having a budget doesn't do you much good. Following a budget is what counts. And so we need to have a plan that's simple enough to execute and not spend without knowing where it fits and check your progress regularly and get back on the horse when you fall off because we will fall off. Be accountable for how we're spending our money. Have someone in your life who you touch base with on these things. Now, quick last word on this. If you're thinking, that sounds great, but I've just... I have no idea even how to begin. Know that you're not alone in that. Increasingly, we live in a world where we've had parents who didn't budget, who raised children who didn't budget, who became parents who don't budget, and are now raising children who don't budget. And so many of us have the desire to do this, but don't really feel like we know how to do it, or at least not how to do it well. And the church can really be of help to you on this. Don't be ashamed or embarrassed about your personal finances, about what you make, what you save, what you give. Even if the answer is, I don't make much, I don't save much, and I don't give anything, you can come to the church and be helped. Why? Because financial discipleship is part of our spiritual growth. And so you can come to us. And in fact, if this whole topic, this whole series has been sort of convicting and challenging to you, it might be that your best first step is to come and get connected with some confidential resources. Uh, Tom Pilse, our chief of staff who runs our own administration and heads up our own budgeting processes, uh, would be a, a great point of contact to connect you with some of our deacons or some other uh, resources that we have to, to help you with your personal uh, finances. Tom at mcleanprez.org. Don't let the fear of doing this imperfectly give way to the sloth of doing nothing. Come, 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 come. Seek help. The fifth deadly sin of spending money, sloth, not following a budget. Now, sixth deadly sin sounds a little strange, and it sounds a little strange because it is a little bit of a stretch, and it is a little tenuous, but I've got these seven deadly sins, and I'm trying to preach this sermon on money, so just work with me, okay? Um, The sixth deadly sin of spending money is wrath or emotionally unhealthy spending. Emotionally unhealthy spending. So wrath is extreme anger or an uncontrolled feeling or an emotionally unhealthy state. Now, I'm not suggesting that there's a big problem where we all go out and spend a lot of money in a livid rage, although you've seen the Black Friday videos. okay? That happens. What I am suggesting is that unhealthy emotions... Dictates a lot of our spending. Unhealthy emotions dictate a lot of our spending, and that's the, the sixth deadly sin. We sometimes justify this or sanitize this by calling it retail therapy. Retail therapy, and you know how it goes. You've been sad or you've been stressed, and so you self-medicate by shopping. You spend money to feel better about yourself. And there's something about the purchase, something about the instant gratification, something about the comfort buy, something about the comfort food, perhaps. You shop to soothe the discontent of your soul so that you'll feel better about your life. You use spending as a coping mechanism. The problem is, spending money to feel better about yourself is rarely to never a good idea, with emphasis on the never A good idea typically leads to poor decisions. Proverbs, again, 10, verse 4. A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. A slack hand, the hand that spends without thinking, leads to poverty. So we need to learn, perhaps, to slow down. Never spend a lot of money when you're sad or stressed never spend a lot of money when you're tired or lonely. <laughs> never spend a lot of money even if you're just bored or hungry. Never even spend a lot of money in the height of positive emotions when you're excited or getting carried away. You see the greatest thing ever. It seems like the best deal ever. You've clicked and there you go. Generally not a good idea. Want to be aware of spending money out of emotionally unhealthy places. That's the sixth deadly sin spending money seventh and finally you've made it till the end two weeks 17 points in two weeks you guys have done well uh, our seventh deadly sin of, of spending money and perhaps again like last week the last one being the most important one is lust spending to get what money can't buy Spending to get what money can't buy. Lust, of course, is that inordinate or that hyper-desire, that fuel that drives that passion to get something that you think will make you happy. Very often used in, in a sexual context, but not necessarily so. That fuel that drives the desire to get something that will make you happy. Now, here's the thing. Everyone agrees, once again, that money can't buy you happiness. And yet, many of us function like it just might, at least in this instance, at least in this particular intran- instance, and so we spend somehow hoping, somehow to get more than what we purchased, to get more than what we purchased subconsciously again, so we need to challenge ourselves in this, but subconsciously hoping that along with our new possession will come approval or acceptance. Or along with our new possession will come safety or security. Or along with this new possession will come power or prestige or happiness or comfort or any sorts of things. Something that's often ill-defined but something that will make you someone or something that will make you happy or something that will make things turn out okay in the end. Hoping to get more than what you purchased a friend of mine described to me this week how, how he had done this very thing recently and gave me permission to, to share with you. It happened during a, a tremendously bad season in his marriage where he decided to buy a new car now six deadly sin don 't buy expensive items we 're in an emotionally unhealthy place, but here he was. Uh, in this midst of a hard season, deciding to buy a new car. And looking back on this process, he was really insightful about the steps that he went through. Hmm. I should probably add, David Stevenson just got a new car. I'm not talking about him, okay? Oh yeah, I've got this friend, yeah? No. Um, He's very insightful about the process he went through as he made this purchase. At first, it began with research, Research. He poured himself into the details, the options, the minutia of this purchase, which he now describes as a work of distraction. A work of distraction. Um, life is so bad that I need something else to focus my attention on. And so I'm going to pour over these numbers. After research, he moved on to decision where he chose his favorite and reached a conclusion which he now describes as an act of control. Isn't that interesting? You know, my my life is falling apart and there's nothing I can do about it, but this is my decision. I can control this choice. Research decision, moved on to the purchase itself, went into a dealership and handed over more money than many of us will earn in a year. Which he now so thoughtfully describes as an exercise of power. Isn't that good? An exercise of, of power, he's saying, I may feel small, but I can still buy big. And in this purchase there is autonomy, there is there is power. Led forth and finally to him calling some friends, showing off his new ride, giving them a spin, which he now describes as being all about his reputation. I may be screwing my life up, and my wife may hate me, but other people still like me. And so you see what he's doing. He's hoping to get more than what he purchased. It's not about the money. It's not about the car. It's about the distraction, the control, the power, the reputation. He's hoping that it will give him something to make him happy, hoping that he'll get something that will make everything okay problem is, as my friend now well attests, that something is something that money can't buy. It's something that money can't buy. And so we want to ask ourselves, not, you know, have we made as big a mess as my friend, but are we as self-aware as my friend? Are we as self-aware to realize how we spend money in order to get what money can't buy? Jesus said, your life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. Your life does not consist in the abundance of your possessions. Your soul will never be satisfied with stuff. The deep desires of your heart cannot be fulfilled, supposing you owned everything in the world. And Of course, the gospel tells us that those deep desires of the heart can be satisfied Supposing we own nothing in the world, but have Christ and Christ alone. I love how Matthew 13 talks about Christ as treasure in the field. Talks about him as that pearl of of great price. You'd sell everything to get him, and yet he comes to you for free. And as it turns out, you can't even buy Jesus because he's already bought you. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 20, you were bought with a price. Acts 20, verse 28, you were purchased with his own blood. And somehow, somehow you find that as you follow him, everything you long for is already yours. Everything you long for is already yours. The seventh deadly sin of spending money, lust, spending to get what money can't buy. There you have it then. The seven deadly sins. Number one, pride, spending like your money is your money. Number two, gluttony, spending too much. Number three, greed, keeping too much. Number four, envy, spending to keep up with the Joneses. Number five, sloth, not following a budget. Number six, wrath or emotionally unhealthy spending. Number seven, lust, spending to get what money can't buy. Friends, there's not a person in this room, and there's certainly not a preacher in this pulpit who hasn't broken every one of last week's commandments and hasn't committed every one of this week's sins. And so we exhale a little bit and remember that there's freedom in Jesus to live differently, freedom and power in his grace to live differently. His grace changes everything, including our approach to finances. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that your word is so full of of practical advice to meet the real issues of real life in a real way. But more than that, we thank you that all the practical application of the scriptures comes to us through the gospel. So that we need not obey any command or avoid any sin in order to be acceptable in your sight. That our standing before you is secure in the gospel. And through that grace, Lord, through that same grace, you enable us day by day, little by little, in the power of your word and your spirit, to live in a way that enjoys the freedom we now have in him. So, Lord, we thank you for Christ, for all that we have in him. He is indeed all that we have, and he is indeed so much more than enough. In his perfect name we pray. Amen.